0: First readings from Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtains guidance. To understand the proverb and the saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction.
1: We have a next song.
2: next reading is also taken from Proverbs 1, verses 8 to 19. The Enticement of Sinners. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Amen. Father God, this Sunday we lift up to you in prayer our connect groups and our connect group leaders. We thank you for the service of our many connect group leaders, Lord. And we pray that as we enter into this summer season, they and many others in our congregation will enjoy an opportunity for a well-earned rest and for break. Lord, into summer we pray that you will be with our connect groups, those that continue to meet and those that do not meet so regularly that Connect Groups would continue to be a place where people can feel welcomed and blessed by fellowship and community, especially those who are new to our church. Father God, we pray for the conflict ongoing in Ukraine. We pray that you would provide protection for many civilians there, still trapped in the Eastern regions where the conflict rages. We pray that you would provide wisdom for political leaders, both in Ukraine and in international organizations. Father God, we pray that you would change the hearts of Putin and others in Russia, and that through your will, this conflict might be brought to a swift and peaceful end. Father God, closer to home, we pray for politicians in our own country. We pray for our leaders, Lord, and we acknowledge that our earth leaders have authority that you have given them. In light of the news this week, we pray for wisdom on all of our politicians who will be choosing our next prime minister. Whoever it may be, Lord, we pray that they would govern wisely, responsibly, and justly. And Father God, as we enter the summer, We pray for the many summer camps that will be occurring, Lord, especially for those where young people from this church might be attending. We pray for the many SU camps and for the Keswick Convention about to start. And we pray that young people may find a place where they can meet you and learn from your word and of your knowledge. And Father God, we thank you for Christians Against Poverty in Dundee. We pray for continued growth in their client basis, and we thank you for those they have already met with and begun to serve. We pray these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
1: The third reading continues in Proverbs 1. Uh, Proverbs 1 verses 20 to 33 to the end of the chapter. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out, at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I, will, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For simple, for the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Amen. I will now hand back over to the band to lead us in a, another worship song.
0: Share with you our last section of that reading before we uh, turn to think about that together. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Let's pray and then we'll think about those verses together. Father, we come into a world that has an absolute glut of information. At the tips of our fingers is a whole manner of information, relevant and irrelevant, accurate and inaccurate, just a moment away. We've no lack of information, but we have a lack of wisdom, Lord. We have many times where we don't know the right way ahead. Where we struggle to know and to understand the life that you give to us. To know and to understand you and to even know and understand ourselves. So Lord, we thank you that the hope here this morning is that we might find wisdom in you. That we might find a wisdom that would lead to a fulfillment and a, a blessing in life. And so, Lord, we pray that as these words have promised this morning, that you might grant what we seek this morning. That the wisdom that we seek from you, you might give graciously. That we might know blessing in our life. That we might be able to be witness, not only to the words of the gospel, but to the way of life, of experiencing your blessing day after day. So, Holy Spirit, pray now that you might speak through these words and speak through me, I pray. You might work deep within our hearts. Amen. You can keep those words uh, open in some format. you find that really helpful. Just get my bits and pieces together here. Where do we find wisdom? That's really the question, isn't it? Where do we look for it? Where do we find it? Where's the source of a wisdom that would help us in life? It's a picture here from the old uh, movie, The Wizard of Oz. And if you can remember that movie, or if you really want to show off, you sort of know the the book. um, All the characters were searching for something. It's the scarecrow that I'm interested in this morning. The Scarecrow was searching, if you don't remember, for a brain, for wisdom. In fact, he sings a song. Oh, I could tell you why the ocean's uh, near the shore. I could think of things I never thunk before, and then I'd sit and think some more. I would not just be a nothing, my head f- a full of stuffing, my heart all full of pain. I would dance and be merry, life would be ding a if I only had a brain. Gosh, it would be awful pleasing to reason out the reason for things I can't explain. Then perhaps I'll deserve you and be even worthy of you if I only had a brain. The book of Proverbs is all about the search for wisdom. This introduction that Solomon gives us here tells us about the wisdom that we can find in God and how that wisdom would shape our lives for blessing. See, Proverbs is On the one hand, part of wisdom literature within the Old Testament, it passes on wisdom to its readers, and it tells us about wisdom. And yet, Proverbs is very easily misread. The most likely way that people will misread Proverbs is to read it moralistically. Uh, Moralism is seeing Jesus as our example And that God requires us to be a moral people, generally good people, and that the Bible gives us some good principles to do that. What moralism does is it ignores the law of God altogether and reduces Christ to a mere example that all he ever did was show us what we could be. There was nothing more to it than that. And Christ is robbed of his glory as our exclusive means of salvation. We've been thinking about that as we've gone through the book of Romans, that there is no other way of us being saved than through the sacrificial death of Jesus on our behalf. Our moralistic performance is not good enough to leverage God's hand of a blessing that he wouldn't give us otherwise. The only thing that is good enough is the perfect work and life of his son. But what happens in moralism is that pleasing God is reduced from perfection, because we all really know that that's impossible, to generally keeping some good principles that we sort of estimate. And so Proverbs becomes a book of some nice moralistic general insights. And the headline is Well, do this and God must bless you, do this and you will do well cause an effect. Extracting and leveraging from God a blessing that he doesn't want to give you because really he's stingy. But if you can perform just well enough, you'll force his hand. That's how you might misread Proverbs, and that is not what Proverbs intends at all. All wisdom for life comes from Christ. Look at how this uh, introduction develops here in these movements. Firstly, we see here wisdom's origin. And this is Solomon's introduction to the whole book. And so we meet the author, the audience, the intent that he has, the origin of wisdom, and some opponents of wisdom here. Solomon is introducing Proverbs for us. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, the king of of Israel. Solomon who embodied wisdom. Solomon wasn't just someone who had wisdom, he embodied it. He was someone known for extraordinary wisdom, so much so that he was sought out through the kingdom and beyond, even the Queen of Sheba coming to him for guidance. And yet this all comes because God gifts Solomon with wisdom. Given the chance to ask for anything from God, he asks for wisdom first kings chapter 3 verse 9 give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that i may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people and yet the point of proverbs isn't be like solomon for all solomon's wisdom he made some really dumb decisions in his life too there was a lot of things that he did not know And Solomon later on reflects on the insufficiency of his own wisdom to save himself. Ecclesiastes 1. I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wisdom itself won't save you. And the message that Solomon has here for you isn't get wise because that will save you. Jesus saves you, but wisdom will lead you to Jesus. Now we meet the audience. And there's two audiences that Solomon has in mind. In verses 2 to 4, he addresses the unwise. And then in verses 5 to 6, we hear him turn and speak to the wise. Because this book and wisdom itself is relevant for all, and it's needed by all. You'll never be too wise. You'll never not need more wisdom. In fact, if anything, a measure of gaining wisdom might be to understand how much you don't know yet, to begin to see what once were unknown unknowns become known unknowns. Before, you didn't realize you didn't know it. Now you've got wise enough to know, I don't know that. Growth of a sort. But wisdom is relevant for all. And now we see his intent here in verses 2 to 4. And it's important to see what he's not aiming to do. Proverbs isn't a collection of clever sayings to make you look clever. You know, the way that some celebrities, and I like railing on celebrities because I honestly think they shouldn't be venerated and worshipped the way that they are. But the way that celebrities post their quotes on their Twitter and Instagram and everything like that, uh, because they think that that will make them look like they're really clever as well as famous. I mean, they're not, they're, they're just getting them from a you know quotes gram or whatever. But you know they do that whole thing and sort of we collude in the illusion that that's not what they're doing, that they actually knew that because they are really super intelligent as well. They must be good at everything because they're a celebrity. So they post their little quotes there to look less stupid. And yet sometimes the quotes actually don't make any sense at all. and. Do the exact opposite. LL Cool J, rapper. Uh, What's this? You get exactly what you're feeling. Happy feelings will attract more happy circumstances. Why did I not thought of that before? It's that simple. Get what I'm feeling. I'd like to have, I feel, an original 1962 Fender Stratocaster. All I need to do is feel it and I'll manifest it. I've done the feeling bit (laughs) I I don't yet have the guitar or perhaps uh, I don't know which order I put these in now I think this is Jean-Claude Van Damme with some very uh, inspirational uh, advice on acting in an action film you act in the action if it's a dramatic film you act in the drama it's good when they speak on your level isn't it Or thirdly, Mariah Carey bending the space-time continuum by sheer willpower. I don't get this 10-year challenge. Time is not something I acknowledge. (laughs) Fantastic. It doesn't ask you whether you acknowledge it. But one day you'll realize you're in it one way or other. This is not what Proverbs is. And so Solomon gives us five clear purposes for wisdom in your life. And we'll scan over them now firstly is correction that the wisdom of god corrects us and puts us on straight paths that the wisdom of god leads to our prospering the wisdom of god leads to us prospering in life doing well the wisdom of god leads to justice leads us to pursue justice for others it leads to street smarts the wisdom of god shows you how things really work And there's a coaching in God's wisdom. It connects potential with a plan to make it actual. And we see that here. Verse 2. You might know wisdom and instruction. And the word there actually in in the original language is correction. Sometimes wisdom is simple, clear commands. We get one in verses 8 to 19. Sometimes wisdom is a clear instruction. There are some times in life where you have to give advice to someone. Or they have to give advice to you. There's something that they or you need to go through. You must navigate for yourself. But you need advice. You need advice to make an informed decision. Then, there are times where you need simple, clear commands. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't listen to them. Don't believe that. There are times where there is no other loving response than to give a simple, clear command. In the moment where a child wants to walk headlong into a busy road. You don't stand and reason and negotiate and debate the prospective merits of walking out in the road or not. You simply say, get here now. Don't walk out into the road. A simple, clear command. Wisdom corrects. Secondly, look at verse 3 there. To give instruction in wise dealing. And the word there literally is prospering, in going well. God's wisdom leads to you going well. And yet, it's worth just pausing to note what this doesn't mean. I've already said, I'll reiterate again, Proverbs is not to be read moralistically. Proverbs does not present, do this and nothing will go wrong for you. That's the wrong theology of Job's friends, if you remember the story of Job. Job is suffering, experiences incredible heartache and loss, and he has lousy friends who come and give him lousy advice. They say, ah, you're suffering. Well, this means you must have sinned, and God must be judging you. Crack the code, work out what you did, undo it, and everything will go back to normal. The wisdom of the word is always aimed at you going well, at you prospering. But even as I say that, there are those of you who in your heart are kicking back at that because you're saying, but you don't know me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know where I am, perhaps. How is that God prospering me? So hear me again. The wisdom of the word is always aimed at your going well. But it does not mean that everything will go well, that everything will go the way you would like, or that everything will be comfortable. But it is aimed at you going well through that. But here's the problem, our expectations. Life has seasons. Sometimes going well is flourishing is abundance, is celebration, is enjoying a moment that you're in. Sometimes going well is having the strength to get back up one more time. Sometimes going well is having the poise not to fall when you've been hit again. Sometimes going well is mustering the power to put a foot in front of the other again. But the wisdom of the word is aimed at you going well whatever season of life you may be in it aims to our prospering but thirdly we see here it leads to righteousness justice and equity the wisdom of a word is deeply concerned with justice in the world at the very heart and nature of god is justice So much so that Jesus faces the full weight of God's justice for us so that we might be set free. And so that God might do that by maintaining justice, not sweeping it under the carpet, but by being just. Romans 3 verse 26 tells us, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so when the word of God takes root in his people, we must be concerned with justice in the world. If we're not, we must ask, do we really know the God of the Bible? Because he cares. We need to be deeply concerned by the need for justice and equity in our society. A few quick points on that. That Firstly, Christians must be grieved by injustice. Secondly, Christians need to raise their voices to establish justice. True wisdom would lead to that. But thirdly, and maybe most importantly in Christians using their voices towards this, true justice isn't found in any one political system, but within the values of the kingdom of God being established on earth. So fourthly, our mission must take seriously establishing kingdom equity and justice now. Now. It is at the very heart of the gospel. Wisdom leads to righteousness, to justice, to equity. But now Paul pivots. And now he speaks to those. Oh, no, sorry, he doesn't. In verse 4 here, he asks for prudence to the simple. The word there is, is guile to the naive to the foolish. It's really about understanding the way that things really work. You know, sometimes you you go to university and you learn a subject, and then you get into the workplace and realize that the actual job that you learned about works a lot differently to the training. That's the reality, isn't it? You read a lot of books about parenting, and you realize it's a lot different to the books. (laughs) You read a book about marriage, that's good. You realize it's a little bit different in real life. Give guile to the naive. And then knowledge and discretion to the young. Knowledge there is that cunning skill the word is talking about. And discretion is about purpose and Plans to the young. It's about combining those two elements. That's the thing that any good coach does, isn't it? It takes the potential and the technical skill of the athlete and adds it to a clear plan and strategy to make an athlete. Connecting potential and turning it to actual skill and cunning and purpose and plans to the young. And then we see him turn and think about the wise. And look at his intent there, that the wise may hear and increase in learning. You never don't need more wisdom. And then look at the origin of wisdom there in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The origin of all other wisdom is recognizing God as God. Every other failing begins with not having acknowledged and honored God and recognizing that he is sovereign and we are not. And so as he transitions into verse 18 and 19, and something of a warning section, he raises the idea that wisdom has some opponents. Look at verse 7 there. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They're opponents of wisdom, And there's a contrast to these first six verses in verses 8 to 19. Here, secondly, we see folly's seduction and wisdom's protection. It says, verse 8 here, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. See, Proverbs is in part a parental book. All of us, whether biological parents or not, whether your parents are still with you or not, find ourselves in these kinds of relationships. These kinds of relationships uh, where in both directions there is an element of responsibility and authority. There are those people who are like parents to us and those for whom we are like parents too. Those who are in positions of authority and those over whom we have authority in some way. That might be in a position of responsibility as a boss, an employer, as a teacher, as a trainer, as a mentor. So don't get too hung up on the biological parent thing. But this book is concerned with those kinds of relationships. It's clear that those sorts of relationships exist everywhere for us. We experience that. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. There's a serious element of parenting. Wisdom from a parent is needed at times in simple, clear commands. We get four of them here in these verses in this section. Verse 8: Hear, forsake not. Verse 10. Do not consent. And two, in verse 15. Do not walk. Hold back your foot. Simple, clear commands. It's the difference between mentoring and protecting. <coughs> Parenting involves both. Again, whether that's with biological or whether that's these, all these other relationships that we have. It involves both mentoring and protecting. The problem might come if you just do the one and not the other. You only do protecting and you never do mentoring or you only ever mentor and you never protect or if you do the wrong thing at the wrong time. There are some things in life that children need to go through but they need help understanding. You can't shield children from them. In fact it would be harmful if you did. They need to do it. So mentoring is helping someone to do something they need to do, but they're not quite ready to do yet. Mentoring is helping to teach children how to cross a road safely. But there are some things in life you do not have to go through, and it's better if you don't. There are some things that you need to shield children from. Just mentoring them through them isn't enough. Protecting is shielding someone from something that offers nothing good to them. Protecting is saying, no, you're not going to that party. If sinners entice you, do not consent. A simple, clear command. If sinners entice, and the word there is seduce, deceive. If sinners seduce you, if sinners deceive you, do not Consent, simple, clear command. Do not abandon the simple, clear command of spiritual parents of you for the seductive, double talk, flattery of sinners. If they entice you, do not consent. We see those four commands and we see them escalate. At first, listen to your parents. Don't listen to them. Don't consent. Don't walk with them. Hold back your foot. Accelerate and escalate. Listen to those who love you enough to say no. Don't agree with them. Don't go with them. Stay away from them. And then we hear what they say. Verse 11 to 16. Except this is never what they say. He says if they say but this is never how it presents it never comes in this way it never comes in a simple clear command like this it comes as well it's just one drink you're only borrowing it it's just one date no one will know you deserve it you'll feel good Sin has a story, doesn't it? Sin always has a story underneath it that makes it appealing. The action has a backstory, And sin can even be doing a good thing. It's looking to anything or anyone else to be God, to give you meaning, to bring you joy other than him. Let me give you an example for myself. I like a drink from time to time. And alcohol is not something negative in and of itself, It's a good creation. It's a means through which, in moderation, we can give thanks to God. Scripture tells us Jesus drank in his time on earth, and he'll drink when he returns. But I, like some of you, have a family connection to alcoholism. I'm blessed that I haven't yet had a problem with that, but I know it might not take me much. So, the times that I make sure I definitely don't drink Is when sin starts to tell me, just wait till later when you unwind with that drink. Look forward to it. When you have that drink, you'll feel peace. When you have that drink, you'll feel good. When you have that drink, you'll forget about your problems. It's promising me things only God can ever deliver. And if I believe it, then I'm also believing at the same time that God can't or God won't do those things for me. That God is either incapable or unwilling to see me happy. That is devilish. When that narrative starts to play, I abstain. I refuse to believe that false story. That God is somehow holding out on me or holding me back from something that I need, and that something outside of God will give me something that God can't give me himself. Sin has a story. No one makes you feel like they make you feel. You deserve to be happy. You need a way to de stress. This will make you forget about your worries. Sin has a story. It has a story that never looks like the truth that we get here. And here's the result of the folly of sin in verses 17 to 19. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain, it takes away the life of its possessors. Sin is always destructive. You destroy and you use others and you destroy yourself. The foolishness of sin always promises you greater life than the wisdom of the word, but it never delivers. Instead, we know all too well it takes away the life of its possessors. Folly seduces but wisdom protects us. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. So we see folly, seduction, and wisdom's protection, but we also see wisdom's warning now. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, verse 20 tells us. In the market, she raises her voice. We see six parts to this warning. Firstly here, fool's delight In foolishness. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? The fool doesn't know their folly. And in many ways does not suffer the effects of their folly. Everybody else does. The fool doth think he is wise. But the wise man knows himself to be a fool. William Shakespeare in As You Like It. It's not the fool who suffers most sometimes for their foolishness. Oftentimes, it's everyone else around the fool. The ones who have to mop up the mess and destruction they leave behind them. There is fruit to folly, just as there is fruit to wisdom. If we think about those purposes that Solomon had there in that wisdom, it leads you to be teachable. If it gives corrections. The wise person is teachable. The fruit is to be responsive. If it leads to our prospering, then the fruit is to be growing. Growing in resilience and determination. Aiming and expecting to grow. If it leads to seeking justice, then it should have a fruit of being selfless. Producing a concern for justice and equity for others that is a selflessness. If it's about giving understanding about the way things really work, then it would lead to prudence. The ability to accept how things really work and break beyond the stagnation of idealism or cynicism that just refuses to accept, well, this is the way that it is, and here's how it works. And it would lead to focus. The ability to turn potential to actual by having a clear plan to get you there. That's the fruits of wisdom, being teachable, growing, selfless, prudent, and focused. The fruits of folly are the opposite, being unteachable. You know everything; no one can tell you better. That you're shrinking. You lack in resilience. You lack in determination. You're aimless and expecting to fail or fail to try. Becoming selfish. Everything is about what is right and good towards me, not others. You're naive. You have the inability to see how things really work, and get trapped in idealism. Or cynicism. Well, this is how it should be. Idealism or cynicism. Well, if it's like that, then I won't bother. And you wind up distracted, unable to ever turn potential to actual with a clear plan to get you there. Wisdom has fruits and so does folly. The fool delights in foolishness. But secondly, there's an offer of regeneration. I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known to you. God can save us. There's an offer, here not quite taken up, sadly, but that God would save the fool from their foolishness by granting his spirit, by making his words known. Fool delights in foolishness. There's that offer of regeneration. But then thirdly, that offer is rejected. Eventually, God's help is withdrawn. I also will laugh at your calamity rather than intervening. God leaves the fool to destruction at a certain point. It comes after God having called, God having reached out his hand, God having counseled, having reproved. He's already done all those things. It's not as though God hasn't done something, but there comes a point at which you may be left to rebellion. So forth, you see God's presence withdrawn. Verse 28, they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. It'll be too little, too late. A moment comes where if the fool keeps stubbornly resisting, God withdraws his presence, holds back his help. So, verses 29 to 31, they get what they want. Verse 31 here, they shall eat the fruit of their way. They shall have the fill of their devices. There's God's judgment. God's judgment sometimes is in leaving someone to it, in not holding them back anymore, in giving them what they want. And so we see here, lastly, foolishness is self-destructive, verse 32. The simple are killed by their turning away. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure. God doesn't have to destroy fools, though ultimately there's a judgment for the unrepentant on his return. He doesn't have to destroy them here. They ruin themselves. They cause their own downfall. You need people in your life who can give you simple, clear commands. Words you may not like. Words that may sting, at least for a moment, but that are for your good. That's why we... Talk about connect groups and DNA groups. These are not just a thing that we do. Really, actually, they are the thing. The Christian life is lived out in community together, in gospel-centered community, in which we help one another to grow and to be all that Christ has made us to be. You need people in your life who can speak into your life and whom you will listen to. We see wisdom's origin in the fear of the Lord. We see. The seduction of folly and the protection of wisdom. We see that warning that wisdom gives. And then lastly, Solomon tells us how we might find wisdom. If verses 1 to 7 of chapter 1 showed us where to find wisdom, its origin, that is in the fear of the Lord, then this section here, 2 verses 1 to 6, shows us how we would find it. So you have to actually work backwards in this little section to understand it best. It works actually better if you go to verse 5 first, before then going through 1 to 4. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, that is, the beginning of wisdom that he's told us from chapter 1, verse 7. And the thing we see here is, we have a combination of human investigation and God's revelation. We seek it, he reveals it. Look at verses 1 to 4 there. There's four things to do to find his wisdom. To receive his word, to love his word, to ask for wisdom, to search for wisdom. Verse 1, receive my words, treasure up my commandments. Having commandments is not the same as receiving them, by the way. There's a difference between actually taking them on board, isn't there? My children are often given instructions. That's not the same as them having received instructions. And so I unfortunately find myself having to repeat myself quite a lot. They're not necessarily the same thing. Receive my words, treasure up my commandments. Secondly, inclining your heart to understanding, directing, aligning your heart, your feelings, your affections, your desires to God's wisdom, wanting it. And thirdly, call out for insight, verse 3. Raise your voice for understanding. Ask God for it. Ask for wisdom, expecting that he'll answer. James says, why are you frustrated? It's because you don't have the things that you want. Why don't you have them? Because you don't ask God for them. Why don't you have them? Because you ask wrongly. Ask him. Ask expecting he'll answer. And then fourthly, Search for it, as for seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Wisdom is to be sought out. The outlook of Proverbs is ultimately optimistic. Because wisdom is something that can be found, that can be attained. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. The search for wisdom is not an impossible task. Scripture is clear. The journey of discipleship is tough, but it's not a zero-sum game. It's not impossible. Wisdom can be found. Why? Verse 6. And this is why we're not to read Proverbs moralistically, but to read it in light of the gospel. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God gives us everything that we need All wisdom is found by God gifting it to us, not by our willpower, not by our intellect, not by our efforts. He graciously gifts it to us. The scarecrow set out on the journey to the Emerald City to find a brain to get wisdom. And yet it really ends in something of an anticlimax. Can't you give me the brains, asked the scarecrow. You don't need them, he's told. You're learning something every day. A baby has brains, but it doesn't know much. Experience is the only thing that brings knowledge. And the longer you're on earth, the more experience you're sure to get. It's an anticlimax, because that is not true. Experience does not equate to wisdom not necessarily you don't innately have wisdom and wisdom is something we all need to find this message is a deluded feel-good false gospel what you need oh it turns out you had within you anyway you just need to believe in yourself The Bible is wonderfully realistic about the human condition. It says, no, no, here's what you need. But you really don't have that within you. But the good news is that all that you need, God can provide. Where do we find wisdom? Where do we lay hold of it? Proverbs chapter 8, it's 27 to 30. When he established the heavens, I was there. It's speaking about wisdom. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. God asks elsewhere to Job in the midst of his suffering and struggling, and as he's trying to find wisdom in the light of it, where were you, Job, when I stretched out the skies, when I parted the seas, when I brought up land from out of the depths? Where were you? The answer, of course, is that he was nowhere. Of course he wasn't there. He doesn't know. He doesn't understand. Here, his character wisdom was there. I was beside him. Like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. Wisdom has a name. Wisdom, it turns out, is a person. Wisdom is Jesus himself. Wisdom is found in his words. Jesus says, John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. You are Jesus' disciple if you are trusting and believing in him. That's who you are. You are, uh, the word there is, mathetes, learner. From it we get mathematics. Learner, student, student. You are Jesus' disciple, a learner. That's who you are. That's to shape how we live. If that's so, then living in a gospel rhythm, that is to live in sync with our gospel identity, being a disciple, being a learner, we will be seeking to grow together. We grow in community together. C- community isn't a thing amongst other things for us it's the thing so I'll leave you to ask this week who can you get around this week, this summer and invest your time in them and with them to both give and to receive God's wisdom from his word in pointing one another to Christ and helping one another to live in sync with who he's made you to be if you abide in my word you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free wisdom can be found in jesus let me pray and then we'll sing a a closing song together father god we live in a world that's desperately in need of wisdom in so many different ways and yet also is is so sort of despondent because it has a sort of sense of feeling, maybe we'll never really find it. And every time we seem to sort of get close, uh, then we take steps backwards and it feels we don't get any further. It doesn't feel like we're prospering. It doesn't feel like we live in a particularly just and equitable and righteous uh, world many times. And this message we know to be untrue, that somehow actually, oh, it turns out wisdom was there all along. We just needed to see it. We all really know that's not true to life. So, Lord, I thank you for the wonderful, liberating message of the gospel that says, actually, no, there is a wisdom to be found. There is a wisdom to be found that would help us to go well in life. To live a life of joy, peace, contentment. Of good fruit. That would lead to life and freedom. Not self-destruction. And folly. It is possible to reach hold of that. And the Lord is not found through our own effort and straining and struggle, but it's found in your gift. Father, we pray for your help to turn our hearts, turn our minds and lives to you, to find wisdom in you. And Lord, we pray for your help to find that in one another and to be willing to make the cost of investing in living alongside one another, living life together, encouraging one another, and pointing one another back to you. We thank you for that truth, that if we abide in your word, we will find life. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would incline our minds and our hearts to your word, and help us to be that for one another in both mentoring and guiding, and also in protecting, in being willing to give simple, clear commands, that we might be deeply invested in one another's life and blessing. We thank you for bringing us together as a family of your followers. We pray that you would be at work within us. For our good and for your glory we ask it. Amen.